0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: discuss news, politics, and sometimes culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. As usual, this is Amy Peekoff, your host, and um, I'm hoping that we have people in the chat room who are going to be active participants today. Roger in the chat room says, no Bowie. Yeah, I probably should have started out with some David Bowie today. But I'm kind of playing catch-up, and I'll explain why here in a second. Um, Welcome, Rob. We've got John, selfishness, uh, Kate Doolittle over there, Stuart, Stuart Hayashi, reporting for duty, he says. Welcome. Um, If you want to participate in today's discussion, really going to be focused more on State of the Union, but I'd be interested to hear your impressions of the debate, last night's debate, if any. The phone number to call is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Stuart in the chat room says that David Bowie was a pioneer with new forms of finance and IP. And that's something I'm actually not familiar with. If you wanted to call in, Stuart, and talk about that, I'd definitely be interested in that. You know, um, I heard the other day David Bowie passed away. And of course, I was shocked. I guess he did his best to keep his illness uh, private from everyone for a long time. Uh, The Bowie bond, okay, I can look up a Bowie bond. That'll be interesting to see. New forms of finance. That's that's quite an innovation. Uh, Obviously, he was a cultural innovator and very, very talented, a little odd. Um, But, you know, I went and saw Bowie as a kid. And because, again, I didn't know he was ill and I had, you know, in recent years been aware that he was still very, very productive, and he seemed happy in a good relationship. Uh, It just really, I guess, hit me pretty hard. And then it was interesting because there was a a push for people right away to start asking, well, you know, what kind of cancer and, you know, what lifestyle mistakes had he made to lead to his type of cancer, most likely smoking maybe or some of the drugs. Um, And... To me, the rush to do that with him just really struck me as odd. You know, somebody posts on my Facebook uh, post about Bowie, uh, you know, I wonder what kind of cancer it was. And and my only answer was the bad kind. You know, give it a breathing room for maybe a couple days before we start talking about, you know, what he did to hasten his death or whatever. Um, And and to me, that's obviously not the biggest thing that I want to think about anyway, any more than – we talk about, you know, Steve Jobs and whatever, health decisions he made that didn't serve him well. Um yeah, we can learn those lessons, but you know, give it give it a little time. Uh, some people in the chat room were asking how is my health? How am I feeling? So, um you know, I had the I had the surgery. People who have been following me know I've had this surgery for what they call a UPJ obstruction. You can mm-hmm. Google that, UPJ obstruction and the surgery i had is called py- pyeloplasty i think that's how you pronounce it p y e l o i think pyeloplasty so i had this surgery done and after the surgery you're required to have a stent in and i had it in for about 8 weeks and these stents are like infection magnets and finally had the stent out a week and 2 days ago and then the idea was i would get one Uh, you know, urine culture done to make sure that I was free of infection after that, and then we'd see how I was doing. And so I took this test last Friday, you know, put the sample in, and, okay, let's get the analysis. And also I was feeling some pain, like a little bit of pain below my rib cage, and, you know, a couple days after the stent is out I'm feeling this pain, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, does this mean that my surgery failed, you know, that somehow there's still a blockage, that I might have to have another surgery and go through this whole thing again. Anyway, it turns out I do have another infection, and my doctor did not inform me of this despite the fact that I called to follow up on the results. I went in person. This is not my surgeon. It's a local doctor, but I go in on Wednesday afternoon after I'm done with my teaching for the day. I've got my new semester started and everything. I'm super busy. I had called earlier in the week to get results. No callback. Go in Wednesday afternoon and they say, oh yeah, by the way, you do have an infection. Let's give you some antibiotics. And he prescribed a fairly mild antibiotic that he think is going to do it. But he's reading the test results based on what I had going on last Friday. And this is already five days later on Wednesday that I'm starting to treat this. So I'm kind of you know, the antibiotics, I think, are playing catch-up right now. I'm feeling okay, but I would be, you know, a lot more reassured if I had gotten the antibiotics on board sooner. That, you know, I don't know how severe the infection is or anything. Um, so that's kind of where I am. In, in a way, I was glad to hear about the infection because any discomfort that I've been feeling could probably be attributed to the infection. And then once we clear it up, maybe I'm done and maybe my surgery was a complete success. Uh, that's the potential that I have if there wasn't any infection, then where's my pain coming from, and that would you know be the big question mark so good and bad right and and I'm not feeling too bad now, but this week, between the fact that I have been laboring under this infection, plus I started my new semester where i'm uh teaching three days a week it's it's been quite the challenge for me um so that's the long and the short of it. But I do think now I've got antibiotics on board. I think that they're working, but it's a little too soon to tell. You know, I've got only a certain number of doses in me so far. So that is me. Now, we do have somebody who's called here. But, no, if, if you call in and you do end up wanting to talk about the State of the Union debates last night or any other topic, call in 760-888-5817. And then I think you have to hit the one button if you also want to talk. But I definitely do welcome those callers today. Um, Just, you know, the State of the Union, every, you know, there's already been some commentary. I haven't read too much commentary. There is a Breitbart piece that talks about the top 10 lies told in the State of the Union address. And, you know, a lot of people give these top 10 lists. I don't know if 10 was all that Breitbart could find or they could find a lot more, but here's the top 10 of them. But when you're talking about your president delivering a State of the Union address, and delivering anything like 10 lies uh, in the course of that, that is really, really pathetic. Uh, So I was, you know, what what do we call the State of the Union? Do we call it pathetic? Do we call it delusional? So I I settled on delusional. But um, how many of you actually watched it? I didn't watch it live because what I did is I went and saw Dr. Tara Smith from UT Austin give a talk on her new Book on objective judicial review, and I I really enjoyed doing that. I was did not hesitate at all in the, the opportunity to watch Tara Smith speak versus watch Barack Obama speak. And moreover, I'm sitting here reading. You know, I've I've been uh, reading the the talk this morning, and all the applause. And I heard that he was pretty smarmy, too. He had the kind of smarmy look on his face and stuff. I don't think I would have been able to watch it for very long anyway. I much prefer to go to WhiteHouse.gov, download the darn speech, read it, and analyze it that way. Uh, you know, another interesting thing. So I did. I went to WhiteHouse.gov. I downloaded it. I put it on Reader View and I printed it out. It's a 14 pages. But do you know this is our president? This is the website of our White House. And there's typos and actually one complete, like, duplicate paragraph in this. And this is up, you know, representing our, our president and our White House. So the fact that there are significant errors in the published, you know, releases of our White House, especially this, that you know, the text of the State of the Union address, I found, um, you know, pretty distressing. But uh, in selfishness in the Charmer says I've seen Tara, uh, who as a teacher, yes, and and she's excellent. She's a she's very good, and I really loved her lecture. Um, just just to kind of share a little bit, there was there was an interesting point that she was making about the fact that some people complain that judges actually have to use judgment, that they actually have to judge, that what they do is not just mechanical and automatic such that all discretion is removed from them. And, you know, she's making the point that this is inevitable, that there's no way you can get around the fact that judges have to actually judge and that we need to give them guidance about how to do so objectively. And she believes it is possible for judges to be objective in in doing their jobs. And the formulations that really struck me that I love, she said basically the same thing a couple different ways. She says that you can write words, words can be written, but meaning can't, right? Meaning of words has to be understood. And if you're talking about legal rules, she says, you know, rules, legal rules can be written, but the understanding of those rules cannot. So the... You know, an understanding of the rules and how to apply them to particular cases, that cannot be written, right? Um, and it, it, it's not automatic. The, the judge has to exert effort using his own mind in order to do these things, and there's no way around that. And so then we have to have a good understanding of what objectivity is and demands and, uh, you know, to know that it is possible as, as a goal. I, I definitely enjoyed the talk, and I recommend the book, Um I need to get Tara on this show and interview her about the book. I think you'll enjoy that. So uh, so that's on that. Now, those of you who did watch the State of the Union, I have a question for you. Was there any phrase in it that struck you as particularly ominous, one that I haven't seen Obama introduce before? There was one phrase that he brought in, and I'll give you a hint. It's towards the end. And he brought it in twice, so I guess it wasn't an accident. And um, it was just a little suggestion, a little hint of where he's going. Any thoughts or contributions, suggestions there in the chat room? Anything bug you in particular? Okay, well, the phrase that got me and that disturbed me is one that he says, unarmed truth, unarmed truth. And he used this phrase, the state of the union is strong. Yeah, I mean, that, of course, is. And did he actually say the state of the union is strong? I don't remember actually him saying that specifically. But if he did, it would really bother me. Of course, he tried to, you know, lie about how good the economy is doing and all that stuff. But towards the end, you know, he's trying to, inspire everybody and you know he's talking about the fact that when you know he's just going to be an ordinary citizen he's going to be right there with us inspired by our voices of fairness and vision etc and then he says um you know they're uh, voices that help us see ourselves not first and foremost as black or white asian or latino not as gay or straight immigrant or native born not as Democrat or Republican, but Americans first, bound by a common creed. Of course, he'll never state what he thinks the common creed that we're bound by is. It's only by implication that, that we get that. So he says that. And then he says, Voices Dr. King, so he's invoking you know, Martin Luther King Jr., Voices Dr. King believed would have the final word. And then he says, Voices of unarmed truth and unconditional love. So he invokes this idea that Americans are supposed to be voices of unarmed truth. And we're supposed to see ourselves, yeah, he was, oh, he closed with the State of the Union is strong. Okay, maybe I just read over that by that time. Um, Oh, yeah, there he goes. Yeah, the State of the Union is strong. Okay, yeah, I skipped over that. And it's because I was scandalized by the fact that he brought this phrase unarmed truth in again. He talks about the America he knows is the country we love, clear-eyed, big-hearted, undaunted by challenge, optimistic that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. I guess I should be just as scandalized by him talking about unconditional love because I don't believe in that either. But unarmed truth particularly bugged me because he's got this idea that we're just supposed to face the so-called challenges, and he talks about Islamic terrorism during the the speech as well, by stating the truth, of course, as he, as he sees it, uh, and we're supposed to be unarmed, right? While we do it, we're supposed, you know, because he's talking about Dr. King, you know, uh, you know, nonviolent protest, but he wants us unarmed, right? And he is saying that we should see ourselves as voices of unarmed truth and unconditional love that we're supposed to love our fellow man. And I found that quite uh, alarming. I don't think I've seen him bring that in. Before. And, of course, right now he's got an anti-gun agenda. And he, and he just only paid a little bit of lip service to that in the body of the talk itself. But then, you know, like I said, towards the end twice when he was in this inspirational section – he invoked this idea of unarmed truth, and I found it pretty disturbing. Um, so, who did? It? Did people watch it at all? No, he tried to try to avoid it. I don't necessarily blame you. So, um, you know, he, he comes in at the beginning, right? And he and he says, "Okay, Mr. Speaker, I'm so glad that you have, you know, passed the budget." And what does he say about this budget, right? The one thing that he invokes that he's uh, happy that the speaker did, that you've made the tax cuts permanent for working families. That's the only thing he said about this huge omnibus that he just ended up, you know, getting Ryan to agree to recently. Not about the huge boon for surveillance or the things that are in there that help to make Obamacare more entrenched, right? Um, none of that stuff. He just invokes the. making tax cuts permanent for working families, which is something we haven't even heard anything out about. And he says, well, I hope we can work together on some bipartisan priorities. Criminal justice reform, who knows what he has in mind, probably something that is wanted by the Black Lives Matter group. Um, Helping people who are battling prescription drug abuse and heroin abuse, okay, there's going to be some money spent there, right? Um, And he says, we might surprise the cynics. And then he says... I'm not going to, I'm going to go easy on the traditional list of proposals for the year ahead. Uh, And he's got, you know, I've got plenty of things I want to do. Helping students to learn to write computer code, okay, spending money on that. Um, Personalizing medical treatment for patients. What does that mean to you? To me that means probably you're going to have less medical privacy than ever if the government is going to be involved in personalizing your medical treatments. And he says, I'm going to keep pushing for progress on the work that I believe still needs to be done, fixing a broken immigration system, i.e. letting in more, uh, probably of the wrong type of people who pose us harm, Uh, protecting our kids from gun violence, right? So this is the one little mention that he talked about with guns. That's the only thing that he said substantively about that until the end. Equal pay for equal work. So he's going to try to push employers to pay salaries other than those to which they agree. Paid leave. At whose expense, I ask? Raising the minimum wage. Right? Maybe just do what they're trying to get done in Oregon and really raise them, right? He says all these things matter to hardworking families. I'm not going to let up until they get done, he says. So that is pretty ominous. Um now, Stewart says that the Koch brothers have expressed a favorable view on Obama's criminal justice reform agenda. Well, I'd be interested then to see what it is. Um, we'll have to see what the what the agenda actually is. There are some things that Rand Paul wants to do that John says, I'm in favor of paid leave for Obama. He does that all the time with his expensive vacations. Yeah. So, so he says, okay, you know, I've got these things over the next year that I'd like to do before I leave office. And he very ominously says that he's not going to let up until they get done. Um, and he's been having some success getting things done that he wants to get done. So that is, you know, a little bit disturbing, right? But then he says that he wants to focus on the next five years, the next ten years, and beyond. Focus on the future. And he says, you know, we're in this time of extraordinary change. We need to embrace change. But what is it that prevents us from embracing change? uh, Fear, right? So he wants us to embrace change and reject fear. And you can tell continually when he's talking about rejecting fear that he wants us to reject the sorts of things that Donald Trump and Ted Cruz have been talking about. Uh, So, for example, he says, um, you know, there's those who have told us to fear the future, who claim that we could slam the brakes on change, who promise to restore past glory. This sounds like Trump, right? Uh, If we just got uh, some group or idea that was threatening America under control, some group or idea. Now, the group, he might be talking about immigrants, but idea, I would say that he is talking about the, you know, Islam that motivates Islamic terrorism, right, Um, that somehow, you know, we should not be fearful of this, and, and we shouldn't have this idea that we need to get this under control. Now, immigration, certainly we do need to put some restrictions on this. There's a lot of you know division about immigration even amongst objectivists, but surely we can all agree that we need to screen uh, or maybe even stop immigration from countries in which Islamic terrorism and training of uh, Islamic terrorists is prevalent. Um, you know, that that's something that needs to be done for our security. And this idea that, you know, fear is bad when the thing that you are fearing are people who are determined to kill you is ridiculous. And this is the thing that he's basically asking us to do again. Let's, you know, go back to the end where he's talking about unarmed truth. We are supposed to just, you know, quote, overcome our fears with no rational reason to do so, no reason to think that we have taken physical precautions to defend ourselves against those who would harm us. And I think that's really what he's asking us to do. Uh, You know, he says, in the past, we have overcome these fears. Uh, We have not adhered to the, quote, dogmas of the quiet past. He's quoting Lincoln there. He says, instead, we thought anew, acted anew. We made change work for us, extending America's promise outward to more people. So basically, all you have to do is share the wealth and don't give in to fear and everything will be okay, according to Obama. Uh, Then he talks about what are our unique strengths as a nation that are going to get us through optimism and work ethic. Now, optimism I see in his realm as what we would call primacy of consciousness, meaning that whatever is in your brain as a belief or some kind of feeling You can make that happen in the world. It doesn't matter what the facts really are. Just be optimistic and everything will work out. Uh, Work ethic. Okay, work ethic is fine, but work ethic on the wrong path is not going to get you anywhere. He says our spirit of discovery. Now, I, I love how he puts discovery versus invention, right? If you discover something, you don't get as much credit for it as if you actually create it or invent it. Then he says our diversity, now, if you're talking about racial diversity, that's not uh, any kind of advantage per se, because race doesn't make a person at all, right? That's not what's essential about a human being. If you're talking about, you know, some sort of cultural diversity, diversity for its own sake is not good, because you could have, you know, some cannibalistic culture or something, you know, okay, that adds to your diversity, but doesn't add to your prospect's for success. So diversity is out. He says, then the one thing that he says, which you know is pretty valid, he says, our commitment to rule of law. Now, he doesn't even say the rule of law, and at least in this, maybe it's a typo. But um, when you talk about Barack Obama, who has tried to do so much through executive order and who has gotten Obamacare passed in the wrong way, right? Because if it was a tax, then the procedure for passing it should have been much different. It was rammed down our throats. Commitment to rule of law. He's talking about that as a strength that's going to get us through. Anyway, he thinks this is the thing that's going to, uh, you know, secure our futures. And then he says it's the spirit, you know, all of the spirit based on all this, uh, that has made the progress of the last seven years possible. And he says it's how we recovered from the worst economic crisis in generations. He's talking as if we have recovered. From this. B O R in the chat room, jihad is all in the mind, would say Obama. Yeah, exactly. Um, he says the part that annoyed me the most was his condescending assumption that opposition to certain immigrants is due to race. Yeah. He says he assume the public that disagrees with him are basically just bigots. Yeah. Um, he definitely had a lot of condescension. In this speech Um, But you know this idea that we have recovered From the economic crisis It's ridiculous He says uh, Reformed our health care system Our health care system is teetering On the brink again Uh, Obamacare is imploding Much faster than anybody thought I myself have seen An increase of 13% in my premiums I think each year for the last couple of years And you know Again given my State of health. I don't dare go without insurance right now because I've actually needed to use it over the the last year. But you know this, and, and you know he talks in here somewhere about the fact that um, the rate of inflation for healthcare is lower or something like that. Uh, if that's really true, if the cost of healthcare is not going up very quickly, why is the cost of health insurance increasing so much? He has created such a huge burden on the health care system, you know, reformed, he says. And, and he wants to do more to it. What, what in the world does he mean by more personalized medical care? He means the government snooping into our personal health records. It's just, you know, going to get worse if he has his way. Uh, we've reinvented our energy sector. As far as I know, our energy sector is in total flux. I just saw a headline today about how one energy company has decreased the number of active oil fields I think only they're only at like one-fifth of what they were before in our country. Uh, the price is going down low. I guess that um, Saudi Arabia has been manipulating the market for oil prices. Some people think the lower oil prices is a good sign. Other people think that the low oil prices right now are a signal of a coming recession again. So this idea that he can say, you know, we've recovered from this crisis, it's crazy. And then he says, uh, we delivered more care and benefits to our troops and veterans. Now, that was not among the top ten lies that Breitbart has told, but I'm very skeptical that we have delivered more care and benefits to our troops and veterans because Obama's tenure has been the time where we have had the big VA hospital scandal. Um, Rob says that earthquakes are the big issue there in, in uh, Oklahoma, and that's is you think that's because of the uh, energy development there. I'd be interested, Rob, if you ever want to call in and uh, and talk about some of the stuff. That would be great. Um, and then you know, oh, we secured the freedom in every state to marry to marry the person we love. He means gay marriage. So yes, that was one positive thing. But all the other things I'm very skeptical about, and you know. Or I think maybe he's outright lying here. Um, So then he says, now we have all these big choices to make. We have to make choices together. Um, We have to, you know, turn away from fear again. Fear is bad. Fear is just bad. You know, it doesn't matter what you are fearful of, that it's a real thing that you should be concerned about. Just reject fear, according to Obama. But here are the four big questions. He says, that are going to have to be answered in the future. And basically he wants to, you know, kind of give you this speech and influence the way you vote, the way you're going to choose your next president or who you're going to let control Congress to give the, quote, right answer to these questions. Um, First, we have to give everyone a fair shot at opportunity and security in the new economy. Everyone. Everyone's going to get a, quote, fair shot at opportunity and security. That's a goal of government, to make sure that that happens. (sighs) Um, How do we make technology work for us, not against us, especially when it comes to solving urgent challenges like climate change? And he keeps pushing climate change throughout this, that basically if you disagree, you are a freak, even though every day – I keep seeing new evidence in my newsfeed that we should be very skeptical about the claims of the climate change alarmists, those who would have us radically change our lifestyles in order to save the planet from destructive climate change. Uh, Just the other day, I saw a headline that said that there was a bunch of data that was being collected, I think, by a certain satellite, and that solar activity was a better explanation of the variations in temperatures that took place than was the consumption or the release of, you know, uh, fossil fuels, you know, uh, carbon dioxide from fossil fuels. So there is more and more evidence all the time. The only thing that's urgent is they have the urgency to try to get over on us these big, huge climate change Deals, accords that they want to make for us to radically change our lifestyle and pay a lot more in taxes and et cetera. Uh, they, it's it's urgent for them to get this over on us before we realize the truth, which is that this is disputed, and that even if there is some climate change as a result of us living our lifestyle, we are as human beings much better off in the long term continuing to exploit fossil fuels than uh, than if we do not. So. That's what that's the only thing that's really urgent. Now then this the third one actually sounds innocuous the way he says it, but we know that, you know, Obama's actions in foreign policy do not live up to my ideal of this abstract formulation, his abstract formulation on foreign policy is this, he says, how do we keep America safe and lead the world without becoming its policeman? Okay, fine, but I know that Obama has done no such thing. And he says, finally, how do we make our politics reflect what's best in us and not what's worst? And that's you know kind of his weird cultural thing. But then he says economy. He says the United States of America right now has the strongest, most durable economy in the world. The strongest, most durable economy in the world. Now the VOR just put something here in the chat room that I'm tempted to click on and take a peek at real quick. Yeah, I saw this this morning as well. Actually, I saw a headline on Walmart in which the number of stores that were going to be closed was smaller than this, I thought. I thought it was 100 and some odd. Now it says, Walmart retail chain to close 269 stores, eliminating 16,000 jobs. Yeah. Economy's fine. No problem. Isn't it good that Obama got to give his State of the Union address before this news about Walmart came out? I think that that is, is definitely indicative. Now, suppose it is maybe arguably true that somehow United States is the strongest, most durable economy in the world. Why? Because every economy in the world is on the brink of collapse. Just one more you know, crazy recession or bubble burst or whatever is going to push everybody over the brink. Um, our economy is in terrible shape. We have a horrible debt-to-GDP ratio. The you know the debt is huge, and there's no sign that we're going to even slow down in the amount that we're adding to the debt. Much less, you know, make any progress on it. Um, B O R says it's like the universe likes to prove him wrong. I mean, who knows? You know, he may have known that this was coming, and the White House said, hey, you know, don't put that news out there until Friday, right? For they love to dump bad news on, on Fridays, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if they just, you know, kind of withheld from reporting that until then. <laughs> John Kenney says, we're like the leper with the most fingers. Great. Yeah, I mean, you know, so strong is most durable economy in the world. doesn't necessarily say much right now. He says, we're in the middle of the longest streak of private sector job creation in history. He says, more than 14 million new jobs, the strongest two years of job growth since the 90s, an unemployment rate cut in half. Um, he is not talking at all, of course, about the labor force participation rate, which continues to be as bad as it's been for at least three decades, as far as I understand it. A- around three decades. <sighs> So it's a total lie. I mean, you you know, he can say he's strictly true on some of these figures, but if you look at the actual figure that matters, which is the labor force participation rate, it is pathetic, and that is one of the things that Breitbart pointed out. You know, but he's talking about manufacturing surges, and, um, and he says, you know, we've done all this while cutting our deficits by almost three quarters, and this you know, figure about cutting the deficits is something that Breitbart also called him on. But I've seen other people do a better job than Breitbart at questioning his reporting of, of, you know, how he's cut the deficit. As I understand it, the big reason that he's able to do this is that he's only measuring himself on, like, the last deficit of George W. Bush, which included all the TARP and everything else. And some people actually question whether... Obama unfairly attributed some of the money spent to Bush in his last year versus Obama in his first year. So, you know, basically the he he's not doing fair comparisons when he's saying that he has cut the deficit uh by almost three quarters. And and he's still spending like crazy. And so the only thing is that there's been this increase in, in revenue as well. So this idea that somehow he has um you know, practice fiscal austerity of any kind is, is ridiculous. He says, anyone anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. He's saying it based on those stats that we just gave, but the, the, these stats are, are garbage. Again, lowest labor force participation rate in three decades. That pretty much tells you what you need to know about the economy, because who is it that creates value and creates wealth? It's human beings. And we have fewer of them in the United States doing it, than have been, have been in, in three decades as a proportion of the economy. So that's whoever is working and earning money is propping up everybody else. I don't see how in the world you could say that, that everything is is going well. Um, so then he says the reason that you feel anxious is not that the economy is bad. It's perfectly fine. He says the economy is changing, you know. Um, and what are the changes? Well, the changes are technology is displacing workers, uh, companies are locating outside of the country. You know, we have a global economy. Um, so workers don't have leverage for a raise. And, the you know, the wealth and income is concentrated at the very top. And, of course, none of the wealth and income concentration at the top could be blamed on government, right? It's not the actions of government. But he says, no, you know, now it's hard for the hardworking families to pull itself out of poverty, et cetera. And he says, what is the goal? The goal is growing an economy that works also better for everybody. He'll allow economic growth to happen, but only if it's in an egalitarian fashion. And he says, well, you know, we've made progress, but we have to do more. So we have to pursue areas in which Americans broadly agree to, you know, complete these goals. Now, what are the things, he says, that you have to do? in order to grow the economy in a way everybody can benefit and everybody supposedly agrees about this. And he says, uh, first of all, I think that Americans agree that every American should get the education and training they need to land a good paying job. He thinks we just all agree about this, that there needs to be additional spending on education, that that's going to be the answer. And here, you know, he's he's appealing to authority, right, because he's saying if we all agree on this, therefore it must be good. That's the first thing. Uh, but he's also appealing to authority when he says no child left behind was a bipartisan reform, and he says that was an important start, but what do we have to do? Remember he's talked about providing pre-K for all, preschool, right, free preschool, government-controlled preschool for everybody, which means total indoctrination from the time that, you know, kids or infants in this country. And then he says, offering every student the hands-on computer science and math classes, et cetera. So he wants to spend more on education. Uh, And that's not just at the, you know, undergraduate or, you know, um, high school levels. He wants to make college more affordable for every American. Um, And he he says, we've already reduced student loan payments to 10% of a borrower's income. So as I understand, they already have the law in the books. That says that regardless of what you actually owe and what would be a normal rate of repaying these, you cannot be asked by a company to pay more than 10% of your income in student loan. And he thinks that's good. It's good that the government has come in and forced bar- uh, lenders, forced lenders, to accept only a 10% of the borrower's income. As a payment, he thinks that's good. And what would be even better, he says he wants to provide two years of community college at no cost for every responsible student. Now, who is promoting this? Democratic candidates. So he's trying to get his word in to get a Democrat elected in office. You know, because if there's a Republican, there's a good chance that his whole legacy in Obamacare is going to be gone. So let's see if he can do the things to promote what Democrats want. Then he says further, We need a basic measure of security above and beyond this. So you're going to get all this free education. Most of it will be indoctrination. Some of it will be worthless. It's going to be a big gravy train for community colleges and stuff, right? Um, But that's not enough, right? Supposedly education is, is enough to give you the opportunity, but that's not enough. You also have to have a basic measure of security. So he wants to strengthen Social Security and Medicare, and then he says basic benefits should also be just as mobile as everything else today. And then he starts touting Obamacare, you know, 18 million people have gained coverage. Um, and then he says in the process, health care inflation has slowed. Now, I don't see how we are seeing the benefits of health care inflation slowing if our, you know, uh, insurance premiums, are increasing by 12, 13 percent each year for comparable plans, and some people's plans are being canceled entirely. So, if healthcare is is cheaper, how is it that these companies are having to charge us more or go out of business entirely? Um, so now he says, well, we won't agree on healthcare anytime soon, but you know we can work together to improve economic security. So what does he want to have? He says. Let's let's have, if you lose your job, not just unemployment insurance, but we also want to have programs to retrain you for business. Again, more money spent on education. And then suppose you have this new industry that you're going to go work in. Maybe your new job doesn't pay you as much. He says there should be a system of wage insurance so you can still pay your bills. You can still live the lifestyle that you had when you were a high-paid, who knows what, Um even when you lose your job. Why? Because you're going to have wage insurance. Who is going to pay for this? I have no idea. So this is all Obama's pie in the sky. And, you know, let's just go out there and and vote for people who are going to get this done. I'm sure Bernie Sanders would be on board with this. So maybe Bernie Sanders is the one that we should go. I guess, you know, probably Hillary Clinton as well. (sighs) If you're going from job to job, you should be able to save for retirement and take your savings with you. Make the economy work better for everybody. And then he says, you know, Speaker Ryan has talked about the interest in tackling poverty. So let's expand tax cuts for low-income workers who don't have children. I'm sure that's going to help get a lot of votes if if you can do it. Um, And then this is interesting, right? He says, says, uh, there are some areas where, you know, we have to be honest, it's been difficult to find agreement. And this is where he explains, you know, basically this is the area over which he hasn't been able to find agreement with the Republicans. He says, a lot of them fall under the category of what role the government should play in making sure the system's not rigged in favor of the wealthiest and biggest corporations. Right? So basically he's portraying the Republicans as being in favor of rigging the system – in favor of the wealthiest and biggest corporations. Now, the system, of course, is law. And what is law? What tool does it have? What is the system consist of? It consists of the application of force. So he's saying that the Republicans are in favor of applying force, the force of law, to making sure that the system is rigged, that it gives special advantages to the wealthiest and biggest corporations. That's how he characterizes the difference. He doesn't want that but they do. And and then he comes back and says, "Well, it's an honest disagreement and the American people have a choice to make." So it's completely slanted, completely contemptuous. Um the idea that there are not Republicans who are against cronyism, in particular Ted Cruz is probably the best on this issue. Um is insane. But no, he's Obama, he has the microphone. And so he gets to characterize it the way that he does. You know, But he, it's an honest disagreement. These guys are in favor of using government force to rig the system in favor of some people over other people. But, hey, you know, that's honest. Ridiculous. Um, you know, but now he's saying, you know, there's record corporate profits and, you know, working families are not going to get bigger paychecks from big banks or big oil or hedge funds making their own rules at everybody else's expense. So it's, again, the same old Enemies, Um, You know, and then at the end, he has a throwaway comment of this paragraph. He says, it's I'm sure it's not the average family watching tonight that avoids paying taxes through offshore accounts. And then he gets all this applause. You know, he's saying it's, it's the big business, the big government, big oil. But politicians and government bureaucrats also use those types of mechanisms to avoid paying taxes. And I've read stories about people in Obama's own administration that have done this. So, you know, he he he's trying to say I'm in favor of small, you know, small business. You know, I'm all I'm all favor for private enterprise, but it has to be small. It can't be big, according to him. And you know, all the Republicans want to do is is give advantages to big corporations. But then he says, you know, how do we reignite the spirit of innovation in our country? You know, he talks about how innovation is in our DNA. Well, what do we do? He says we've nurtured the spirit. And he says we've protected an open Internet. And we're trying to get more people online. He has done no such thing. And as Breitbart has pointed out, in fact, they have put more restrictions on the Internet. And they are now treating the Internet as a public utility. Um, So that's ridiculous. Uh, What does he want to do to spur innovation? Of course, if he really wants to spur innovation, he's going to get government out of the way and just let people innovate. Uh, Reduce the amount of regulation, but instead, what does government do to spur innovation, according to Barack Obama? Spends money, essentially. Uh, He's on this kick that America can cure cancer. Um, He says that now Congress is giving scientists at the NIH the strongest resources that they've had in over a decade. Strongest resources, of course, would mean most of money, most of your taxpayer dollars. Does NIH know the best way to spend that money in order to cure cancer versus private companies whose hands that the money could go into if you weren't, you know, getting it stolen from you? Who knows? Uh, But he's got Joe Biden in charge of mission control for this. And he says, you know, let's make America the country that cures cancer once and for all, as if that's going to happen. So he says medical research is critical, et cetera. And then he wants to talk about climate change. Now listen to him. Listen to this appeal to authority. And, you know, keep in mind, probably if your news feeds are like my news feeds, you are seeing pretty much every week a headline that questions the conventional wisdom on climate change. Uh, You see, for instance, the ice packs uh, are either growing or not shrinking the way they were supposed to if Al Gore and everybody else was right. Um, like we said, there was a like just a story just the other day that said that the data from particular weather monitoring satellites actually reflected, uh, you know, more plausibly the changes in the sun activity and sunspot activity that more likely that than the consumption of, of fossil fuels or the release of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. But Nonetheless, even though there is new evidence all the time that we should be questioning these, you know, doom and gloom scenarios put out there by the climate change alarmists, this is what he says. He says, look, if anybody still wants to dispute the science around climate change, have at it. He says, you will be pretty lonely because you'll be debating our military, most of America's business leaders, the majority of the American people, Almost the entire scientific community and two hundred nations around the world who agree that it's a problem and intend to solve it. End quote. That is the biggest, largest most bankrupt appeal to authority ever. He's just you know he's trying to intimidate you. Don't read the science, don't read these articles that are coming out there. Don't question whether we should make these huge sacrifices for the sake of something that is questionable at best. Just you know realize you're going to be very lonely you're going to debate all of these people that you shouldn't be debating state defiance says, you know who won't be pre- who won't be pretty lonely bill clinton oh my gosh too funny um, let's see oh it's so funny new york times is trying to give credit for the shale boom to the nixon administration for spending tax money on r and d says stewart yeah they they're all trying to shoot their own horns, so to speak. And and I agree, uh, Jay. Jay says that this, this is hysterical behavior. Um, <laughs> Kay Doolittle says, we ignore the science, you can too. They are clearly ignoring the science. Otherwise no one would call for the drastic changes in lifestyle and, you know, sacrifice of, of wealth and, and well being that these people are. They say, even if the planet wasn't at stake, we wouldn't want to pass up the chance for American businesses to produce and sell the energy of the future. Now, what is this chance? So the idea is, you know, even if it's not true, then why don't we just pretend it's true? Because it would be really cool to steal some money from some people and give it to others to give American businesses the chance to produce and sell the energy of the future. Um You know, he talks about this idea of, quote, investment in clean energy. And I remember Solyndra and the huge, basically black hole that that was. Um, You know, he talks about the fact that now solar is saving Americans tens of millions of dollars a year on their energy bills. And I ask at what expense? I mean, it might be that those energy bills are going down, but how many government subsidies and how much in-government subsidies have been required to make that happen. So it's ridiculous. Um, One thing, they want to give homeowners the freedom to generate and store their own energy. Now, this is one thing you might like, right? You might say, okay, um, solar, not a huge fan of solar, but wouldn't it be awesome if you could use solar or maybe even another technology, maybe your little Coke can-sized nuclear generator, if you could actually have the freedom to generate and store your own energy energy, so long as you are not you know, posing any sort of physical danger to anybody else around you, why not do that? But even if you get solar panel systems today, and even if you have a solar p- panel system that is capable of generating enough electricity to power your house over the course of the year, you're not allowed to keep it and store it and use it for yourself. Some people might want to do that even if it's not super efficient because they like knowing that their power is not going to go out on a really hot day and they'll still have their AC or whatever. Um, he tried to take credit for the gas under 2 bucks a gallon. Uh, even if gas is under 2 bucks a gallon, I'll never see that here in California, thanks to politicians who are taxing me on it. But he says, you know, now we have to accelerate the transition away from old, dirtier energy, energy sources. And this is the alternative he poses to us. You either can subsidize the past, as he puts it, or invest in the future. And so basically what we need to do is stop subsidizing the past. He says, you don't need to subsidize fossil fuels. Just let it all exist on the free market and let people, if they want to invest in solar, if they want to, as far as I can tell, waste their money, let them go ahead and do that. But he says, no, we have to make sure that uh, we manage our coal and oil resources, he says, so that they better reflect the costs they impose on taxpayers and our planet. I don't see that oil and coal resources impose costs, just let the market decide. So he's, you know, bringing up this sort of false problem that doesn't even exist that there's costs that are imposed particularly on the on the planet. And then he ominously says that what we need to do instead, we'll put money back into these communities that are based on fossil fuels and put tens of thousands of Americans to work building a 21st century transportation system. Now, again, this is all part of a discussion where he says, I'm not going to try to do this in the next year. This is something for the future. Total pie in the sky. What does a 21st century transportation system look like? What is it based on? Who knows? Go decide, but you should believe that it's wonderful. Um, The only people who would be against what he wants to do are, of course, entrenched interests. And... uh, then he wants to talk about, you know, foreign policy. So he's going to go into this foreign policy p- piece again. He has very nice abstract formulations. Keep America safe and strong without either isolating ourselves or trying to nation-build everywhere there's a problem. That sounds fine. But what is, you know, what does he actually do? He says, you know, uh, the rhetoric that you hear first of all about our enemies getting stronger and America getting re- weaker is also false. He says, surveys show our standing around the world is higher than when I was elected to this office. Have you seen such a survey? I never have. But, you know, he wants to go ahead and assert that from the outset. And then he says, as someone who begins every day with an intelligence briefing, so he's trying to get you to listen to him because supposedly he knows a lot, he begins every day with an intelligence briefing, so you should defer to him. Um, But he says, you know, it's a dangerous time not because of a looming superpower out there. He says uh, we're threatened more by failing states than we are by evil empires. And this is a theme throughout his foreign policy. In effect, his final call on foreign policy is to say that we need to to see that spending money, you know, the assistance that we give other countries, that spending money is part of, of our security arsenal. Um you know, foreign assistance we should see as, as part of our national security, not as something separate, not charity. So the idea that he's he's going through and he's saying, look, you know, I'm trying to do what I can to destroy ISIL. He's using that phrase now that we have to destroy, we have to take them out. So at least he's coming there. But yeah you know, and and he's saying yes, you know, even if you know they're relatively isolated Group and and there's not a whole bunch of them, etc. He says yes, they pose an enormous danger to civilians. He says but they do not threaten our national existence, um, and he says we don't need to push away vital allies in this fight. He says by echoing the lie that ISIL is somehow representative of one of the world's largest religions. So again, he's coming to the defense of Islam the idea that there is a connection between Islam and something that calls itself the Islamic State, he wants to reject. And he says, you know, what are we doing? We're out there and we are making efforts to destroy ISIL, but we're going to do it in the right way. Um, How does he tell you that he thinks he's doing something good? He again makes it sound impressive without really telling you all of the results. He says, for more than a year, America has led a coalition of more than 60 countries. That sounds impressive. And he tells you what they were geared to do, but he doesn't tell you what the results are in terms of cutting off ISIL's financing, disrupting plots, stopping the flow of terrorist fighters. How successful has that been? Stamping out their vicious ideology. What is that ideology? Blank out, don't say. Um, he says with nearly 10,000 airstrikes. That also sounds impressive. But what does he say? Take out their leadership, their oil, et cetera. But we need actual concrete evidence. And I would say the Paris attacks are showing that it's not exactly working. Um, and then he says, we're training, arming, and supporting forces who are steadily reclaiming territory in Iraq and Syria. You know, Again, he is set on arming people in that region who are supposedly our allies of this second. And we all know from the past that this is a failed strategy and that what's likely to happen with all of the assistance that we give if we are training and arming them is it's going to be turned back on us again when we become the convenient enemy of of these groups. Um, He keeps urging Congress to take a vote to authorize the use of military force. I wonder what's going to be attached to that. Uh, He does slip in Benghazi. He says we've got the – there's a a leader – The perpetrator of the Benghazi attack is uh, sitting in a prison cell. So he's trying to make a little, I guess, plug to say that somehow we've done right by Benghazi, even though that was under his watch, and he should uh, suffer for that. You know, just this week there was the news that there was a stand-down call in Benghazi, but nobody has said who gave that stand-down order. And once that comes out, it's going to be very interesting, if it comes out, if Trey Gowdy actually lets it come out. VOR in the chat room says, yeah, just just ignore the Quran and the Hadith. Yeah. All of the calls for violence, the calls for things that are completely anathema to our way of life. Um, he says uh you know instability is going to continue for decades in many parts of the world, even without ISIL and uh Al Qaeda Middle East, Afghanistan, parts of Pakistan, parts of Central America, Africa, Asia, etc. But a lot of these places, what do they have in common? There is a large Muslim population, many of which believe uh, that they need to adhere to that religion strictly. Uh, but you know, he tries to put in instead, it's just ethnic com- conflict or famine. Um, so what we need to do is we need to help solve the problem of famine rather than, and here's a quote from Obama Tough talk or calls to carpet bomb civilians, end quote. I think it's Cruz who is uh, most vocal on the idea that we do need to do some carpet bombing of civilians if necessary. It's not like Cruz wants to target civilians particularly, and you probably don't need to, to get rid of ISIS, but you would have to carpet bomb certain areas without regard for the fact that there are necessarily going to be some civilian casualties in order to eliminate ISIL. How does he propose to actually, quote, take them out? He has had no success yet, as far as I can tell. Now, and then he does say, of course, we don't have to rebuild every country, and, you know, that's not a leadership, that's a recipe for quagmire. But what's his smarter approach? He says there's a smarter approach, a patient and disciplined strategy that uses every element of our national power, a.k.a. the Iran deal. How well has the Iran deal served him? How long did it take to get our naval officers back? And at what humiliation did we have to uh, endure? In Syria, he, again, he says, we're partnering with local forces and in leading international efforts that help a, the broken society pursue a lasting peace. Ha! Huh? We know from past experiences, this is just going to blow up in our faces, maybe literally. We've got a global coalition with sanctions and principled diplomacy to prevent a nuclear-armed Iran. Yeah, predict that. Um, the other thing, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, he says it's going to do all these great things, and he wants everybody to pass it. It's probably going to do some good things and some bad things, so I don't know, you know even what to recommend on that. But he said, you know, it's the right thing to do, to do this. Don't isolate Cuba because that doesn't promote democracy, et cetera. Lift the embargo. Um, But he says, what do we have to do? We have to have a wise application of military power and rallying uh, the world behind causes that are right. And again, see our foreign assistance, he says, as part of our national security, not something separate, not charity. In other words, bribes. Let's bribe everybody to behave the way that we want, and boy, that'll work fine because it's always worked so well in the past. Again, delusional here. Um, Now, he says, we've led nearly 200 nations to the most ambitious agreement in history to fight climate change. It's going to protect our kids. He wants Congress to also fund um, something to get rid of HIV, AIDS, and malaria, right? Spend money tax us more, restrict our behavior, all because it's the right thing to do. Um, he says, that's America's strength. This is the, Right after this, right after he says, we've got to spend all this money to cure all these things, that's America's strength, our leadership, uh, the power of our example. He says, I'll keep working to shut down the prison at Guantanamo. That's going to be uh, an answer. He says, it's expensive, unnecessary, and only serves as a recruitment brochure for our enemies. There's a better way. Now, what better way is there? Because as I understand it, not only is it a security risk if we bring some of these prisoners on shore, because of our weird, complex, convoluted legal system, there's going to be certain procedural rights that these prisoners would attain if we brought them here as opposed to keeping them where they are. So you know, th- this idea that he's going to be able to do this, I sure hope that Ryan doesn't let him get away with it like he seems to be letting Obama do all these things. Uh, We have to reject any politics, he says, that targets people because of race or religion. He says the world respects us not just for our arsenal, it respects us for our diversity, our openness, and the way we respect every faith. So every faith must be respected, regardless of whether it means us harm. And recently, if you wanted... um, (laughs) state defiance is correcting my pronunciation in the chat room. It's Pakistan. Okay, Pakistan. I understand. Um, No, but, you know, this idea that regardless of the content of a faith, we must respect that faith. That is maybe going to appeal to some people in this audience, but we now have a faith in the world, Islam, which, when taken seriously, is motivating people to do us harm and want to completely upend our way of life and and our, our freedom and our rights And he says, no, you know, we we have to reject any politics that targets people because of this. Now, target people, but, you know, maybe you just need to be warier of of people. Maybe there needs to be extra screening and things like that. Why? Because there are people who adhere to this religion who want to kill us and destroy our way of life. If you need any confirmation of this, recently um, Robert Spencer, who's the curator over at Jihad Watch, he did an excellent interview with um Gavin McGuinness at Rebel Media. So there's a video out there you can watch and I think it's about thirteen minutes long or so. And he talks about ten different places in the Quran where there are calls for violence against non Muslims. Uh I would just suggest watching that if you just if you don't want to I mean read the Quran would be a good way to do it. But anyway, so um And he invokes Pope Francis in this. He says, uh, Pope Francis said, quote, to imitate the hatred and violence of tyrants and murderers is the best way to take their place, end quote. As if opposing the hatred and violence, right, of certain people who adhere to a certain religion, if you oppose that, then somehow you're imitating it. Um, I reject calls for violence, and I reject them vociferously, but that does not make me equivalent to those people. Anyway, yeah. Um, we the people. We have to realize means all the people. So what do we have to do? We have to fix our politics. Uh, we need to have basic bonds of trust between citizens. We have to have a willingness to compromise. And he says, and he says, or when even basic facts are contested, right? He says, democracy, he says, grinds to a halt when we don't have a willingness to compromise, right? And he says, democracy also grinds to a halt when, quote, even basic facts are contested. That's what he says, which he's basically saying again, if you contest global warming, then you are responsible for democracy grinding to a halt. Shame on you. Because it's just a basic fact, right? Right? He says, Oh, we shouldn't listen to only those who agree with us. That's all that Obama does. Right? It's okay for him, but not for us. And he says, uh, you know, also with our with our politics, the system is rigged in favor of the rich or the powerful or some special interest. Um And he says, too many Americans feel this way right now, that you feel that your voice doesn't matter, et cetera. And he says, it's one of the few regrets of his presidency. The rancor and suspicion between parties has gotten worse instead of better. You know, maybe a Lincoln or a Roosevelt could have solved this, but I'll keep trying, et cetera. And he says, but, and this is the defensive part, this cannot be my task or any president's alone, you know, all of you politicians, you complain about the so-called noise coming out of your base. I know that you really don't believe this stuff. It's just, you know, the, the base, the evil base in your parties. And he says, what well, what do we have to do? We have to change the system to reflect our better selves. Uh, one, he wants to end the practice of drawing congressional districts. I don't know how he thinks he's going to get that done, but maybe he's going to try to pull out an executive order. Uh, he also wants to do some more on campaign finance. The way he puts it is we have to reduce the influence of money in our politics. right? So again, he wants to control the way that we spend money in order to share ideas with other people, particularly political ideas. Um, he wants to hamper our freedom of expression because freedom of expression requires, as Ted Cruz you know, uh, identified in that wonderful speech that he gave, Freedom of expression requires spending money. For me to talk to you right now, I have to have a monthly membership on Blog Talk Radio. I have to have an Internet connection of a certain strength. By the way, thank you to those of you who contribute to this show and make that possible. But freedom of expression requires spending money. Spreading ideas requires spending money. And he knows that just as well as anybody else. He wants to make sure that government has more control over what ideas can be spread, a.k.a. limits on so-called campaign finance. Uh, Then he says we have to make it easier to vote and not harder. He's making allusions to modernizing the way that we vote. To me, the more that you modernize it and you make it more accessible by computer, the more that those computer networks can be hacked and elections can be stolen. So obviously it's a good or a bad thing, and we need to have, I would say, the right people working on this technology to make sure that it's not susceptible to fraud and susceptible To stealing elections, so he's talking about all these ways to reform our politics. He says I can't do it alone, ha ha, Um, but he wants to make sure that those with money and power do not gain greater control, as he puts it, over the decisions that could send a young soldier to war, or allow another economic disaster, or roll back the equal rights and voting rights of uh, that generations of Americans have fought and even died to secure. We're going to roll back equal rights and voting rights, he thinks, if you don't achieve these reforms. Um, We can't go down this path. It's not going to give us the economy we want, et cetera. It contradicts everything that makes us the envy of the world, right? He's trying to tell you how you should conceive of yourself as Americans. Now, what he says is, our collective futures depends on your willingness to uphold your duties as a citizen. Here's your call to action. You need to vote. You need to speak out. You need to stand up for others, especially the weak, especially the vulnerable, because each of us is here only because somebody stood up for us. He says, our brand of democracy is hard. And then he says, a little over a year from now when I no longer hold the office, you know, I'm joining you guys and everything. And this is where he makes that call, you know, where at the end he's trying to call us to action, inspire us. Uh, He says, you know, Dr. King believed W- certain people with certain voices would have the final word. Those are the voices of unarmed truth and unconditional love. So you should see yourself as one of the voices of unarmed truth and unconditional love. You shouldn't join the rush of people out there going to buy guns because they're scared their government is going to take them away. You should just you know, be happy, be placated by your leader, and, you know, see yourself as one of these voices of unarmed truth and unconditional love. Um, you know, and then he gives a whole bunch of little vignettes of individuals out there. You know, the dreamer who stays up late at night to finish her science project, the teacher who comes in early and maybe with some extra supplies that she bought because she knows that that young girl might someday cure a disease, etc., Um You know, so all these individuals, the elderly woman who will wait in line to cast her vote as long as she has to. You know, the new citizen who casts a vote for the first time, volunteers at the polls, et cetera. You know, again, he wants voting reform. But, you know, unarmed truth and unconditional love, that's going to have the final word. Unconditionally love everybody and your fellow man. Spread the truth in a way that is unarmed. Spend only the amount of money that we think you should spend and everything will be great. Jay in the chat room says, why is the Jihad Watch site depressing? You know, I, I've long wondered how Robert Spencer at Jihad Watch keeps doing what he does on a daily basis because I would find it quite hard to do. Selfishness says, who wants to fight in Obama's army? Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It 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 is depressing because he basically portrays an accurate picture of how Islam has influenced wrongdoing, uh, death, and violence, particularly throughout the world. I mean, and you know, he talks about also what the what is known as the stealth jihad, ways to try to influence our culture, uh, other than violence. But there's a lot of violence on that site. Yeah, you know, John says there's only so much evil when should expose oneself to. Yeah, it is. It's, it's it's tough. But Robert keeps his spirits up, even doing this day in and day out, most of the time. And um it's it's amazing that he does it. So so kudos to him. Um so any comments? Am I am I right to be alarmed but he by his uh, call for unarmed truth and unconditional love? I don't know how much effect you think this speech will have. Is it going to turn people to vote for the Democrats and vote against, I mean, Trump, I don't want Trump, but, you know, is it going to turn people against Cruz? Yeah, Robert is, uh, titanically optimistic. I don't think I've heard that term before. You're going to have to give me a, a definition, uh, a Doolittle there in the chat room. I don't know if it, yeah, I don't know if this will influence. What about the debates last night, everybody? Who won the debate last night? word from the Luntz group was that Cruz won the debate. I did not see the debate last night because I was resting after uh, some teaching and, and driving a lot of driving yesterday and I've got this like I said infection so I just I went to bed super early and slept a lot last night. But who won? I saw I saw the exchange, the one exchange between Cruz missile, says so state defiance yeah, I mean that's, that's what I'm hearing um, titanically Okay. Titanically um, optimistic. Yeah. Robert is titanically optimistic. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's, it's hard. Um, but yeah, if, if, uh, Cruz is winning the debate, I think this is good news. I think contrary to most people's expectations, he has a decent chance of winning the nomination and maybe even the presidency, which would be the most awesome thing that could happen in this entire year. Um, but we'll see. I mean, we, we shall see. Uh, I saw the exchange between Cruz and Trump on New York values. Did everybody see that exchange? Did you actually watch it for yourself? Everyone's commenting on it out there, but you, you do have to watch it for yourself. Some people are. Um, does Ted Cruz really believe in Satan or paganism, like the Left New York Times says? I've never heard such a thing. That would be weird. Um, He's certainly not characterizing himself that way. The one thing that the New York Times also smeared him on was the issue of, um, I guess he took out a million-dollar loan or something, and somehow some paperwork hadn't reflected it. It was a mistake or whatever. They tried to catch him. They're always trying to catch Cruz, and I don't think that they've actually succeeded in catching him in any significant uh, mistake or bobble or Misrepresentation. Uh, so, Stuart, what was your impression? Who won that exchange? Was it Trump or was it Cruz? You say that you think the audience sided with Trump in the end about the New York Values. VOR says that he does believe in Satan or paganism. Hmm, interesting. Be interested to see the the evidence for that. State Defiance says I think it was a draw. You think Trump won it? Hmm. I mean, this is the thing. First of all, Trump basically skirted the basic issue because Cruz explained that the reason he used that phrase New York values and paired it with the sorts of things that he did was because of an interview that Trump did. Right. Because Trump actually says, yeah, yeah, I believe in this and this and this. Of course I do. I'm from New York these different values, you know, pro-abortion and pro-gay marriage or whatever things. So, that is actually Trump's own language. And so what happens when Trump gets this to answer? He goes ahead and pulls a Chris Christie and invokes 9-11 in the most emotion-stirring way that he can, where he's talking about how inspirationally the New Yorkers behaved and cleaning everything up and facing the smell of death, right? So he's painting this very vivid picture and he's appealing to the audience's emotions with respect to something that is completely off the topic and it it really was i mean you know trump did this interview and he said he did have those particular values and positions right so i i don't know that you know trump won it now i agree that trump got a quite a bit of audience response there but if you look at that exchange more dispassionately you should see that Cruz used the phrase, because of Trump, to apply to those, you know, those those values. And, and it really is true, right, that there are very few conservatives, really, that come out of Manhattan. Some of them do, as Trump pointed out, I guess, um, Buckley or, you know, Weymouth Buckley. So there are some, and maybe that there are some that are famous, whatever, it, it doesn't matter. Um, there has not been Republicans that have won there for who knows how long. Uh, you know, real Republicans. And, uh, you know, in, t- in terms of actually getting New York State to support a Republican for president, I don't know that that's going to happen. So just realistically, I guess that that's the idea there. And Trump didn't answer it. Again, he appealed to the audience's emotion, yes, with respect to 9-11, something that would appeal to conservatives as well. Um, Sally in the chat room says, a lot of New York City values now are Bloomberg values. State Defiance says it was a mistake for Cruz to take Trump on. I hope he learns from his error. He needs to remain on his stealth campaign. And maybe he will. I mean, I saw his face at the end of it, and he was obviously not happy with how it went. Um, yeah, Cruz said not many conservatives come out of Manhattan, and and it is true. Um, yeah, Cruz's loan that he failed to report uh, was... From Goldman Sachs so the people are concerned that he's in the pocket of bankers Um, you know is he in the in the pocket of bankers how how could it be I don't I don't know Um, you know what we do know is that he's pledging to go against the the cronyist idea and he said also that he wouldn't bail out you know on the too big to fail so if he's lying about that it's going to come out soon enough New York City Republicans I know seem to like Trump or Rubio, says Jay here in the chat room. So, I don't know. Now, I've got a couple callers here. I don't know if anybody wanted to actually chime in on anything, but go ahead and hit one if you do. Um, Otherwise, I don't have too much more for today's show about this. Um, I do want to go check out more about the debates and see how the candidates are doing. It is a concern, you know, is – any candidate in the pocket of anybody. But as far as I know so far, Cruz is giving satisfactory answers to this thing. Yeah. Let me see. I do have a call. Let me grab it real quick. Hi, who's this?
0: Hi, are you talking to me?
1: Yes, I am. Hello. Yes.
0: Oh, okay. This is Tom. Uh, Hi, Tom. Recording... How are you? Fine. And you? Getting better? Doing,
1: doing okay, yeah. Doing, I, I think, better. We'll, we'll know soon uh, enough.
0: Okay. Uh, according to the Drudge poll, Trump got 53%, Cruz 31, Rubio 8 and everybody else got
1: 2%. And that was in this particular um, debate? In the Drudge poll. In ter- okay, yes,
0: in the, in for the this Drudge debate. Poll. Okay. Right. So, so Drudge. Uh, uh,
1: and, and, okay. and do you attribute do you attribute it to that particular exchange?
0: Uh, it's it was that particular debate, but uh, this is what the Drudge poll uh, was published on Drudge as to the total out of three hundred sixty five thousand votes.
1: Okay, well, I so, mean that 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 could be true. The the focus group Frank Luntz's focus group, which is very substantive and doesn't have any ability to sort of um, slam the poll, right? I mean, these polls, yeah. The I'm sure the Trump people are very motivated to go out there and slam these polls too. I don't know how much I, I take a Trump poll to heart, but...
0: Yeah, well, it comes down to a question of whether or not Drudge uh, compares votes, compares the web addresses to make sure only one uh, per person vote.
1: Right, and right. And also,
0: of course... With other things, uh, the intelligence briefings, like uh, Obama said, he gets the intelligence briefings, but from what I've read and what's been on the Internet, 80% uh, 90% of them, he never attends. So he doesn't bother with them. So it's there, but he doesn't listen. And See. for 20th, 21st century transportation, he's talking about public transportation, mass transit.
1: Putting us all into mass transit and taking away our ability to have our own cars out there. Right. Or at least if we have cars, we're supposed to have electric cars that have, at best, a very limited range right now. Yeah.
0: Right. Now, as for climate change, uh, there was a recent study released uh, for years, well, generations, decades. People have known, scientists have known, that there is an 11 year cycle. A 22-year cycle and something like a 60 or 72-year cycle in the sun, but it doesn't always show up. And what they somebody finally decided the thing to do is to separate the north, from our perspective, North Pole from South Pole, just like on the earth, and maybe you know you could figure something out. And they concluded that both uh, north and the south have separate cycles. Okay. And sometimes they add, and sometimes they cancel, and they ca- c- calculate it out all the way back in the past versus what the actual record was, and it has a ninety-seven percent accuracy, right? they claim, and okay. they calculated then forward, and they ca- and they claim we're going into a myander minimum, which is when the Thames in London froze over. Right, college, right, and, and this is there. this is
1: the yeah, this is that whole point that. The most, you know, uh, ba- basically the, the the most effect that we're going to feel on our climate is going to come from the sun's activity. And it's not going to be, yeah, it's not going to be from the, you know, emission of CO2 into the atmosphere, ozone, or any of this other, any of this other stuff. And, and I think that's right. But, you know, imagine here's our president, you know, outgoing president, State of the Union Address, and he's sounding so desperate. He's using such... You know, blatant logical fallacies, just appealing to authority and trying to bully people over to his point of view, to accepting the the myth of this. You know,
0: well, that's, that's the of, whole idea is that we have to have a, a world government to deal with this problem, and it's it's the right. UN. Yep. And, yeah. And 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 who
1: knows? You know, what sort of little post presidential deals he's got baked into that climate. Accord for himself, right? You know, I'm sure he's set himself uh, pretty in in one of these things that he's going to try to shove through before he leaves. Um,
0: Well, one of the things that is being talked about is that he plans on being the next head of the U.N. Because my understanding is that guy's uh, term expires uh, February 17, 2017. OK. And so he uh, uh, that's, you know, a lot of claims on the Internet to what extent that's true or not. But it would be up to him. Uh, his character would certainly sink to uh, submit the U.S. to U.N. power so he can be head of the U.N.
1: Yeah, it looks like you have some people in the chat room also saying the U.N. is already set up to be the caliphate, etc. That could be that could be pretty scary.
0: Well, all the Muslim countries are united into a major group in the UN, uh, including mostly Muslims. Is uh, the one who vets is going to be vetting the immigrants coming into the U.S.
1: Mm, right.
0: And I, I downloaded the names of the people in this new group that are planning on controlling the internet in and the domain name system. And many of them are not from countries favorable to the U.S., and a number of them are also Muslim.
1: Great. Thanks for the <laughs> the, uh, the 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 optimism there, Tom. Um, I'm going to go ahead and and let you go because there's a little okay. discussion going on here. Uh, thanks for calling. I I really appreciate it because I did welcome. want some yeah, I you. did want some callers today, and uh, thank yeah. you for for taking the call or you know heeding the call that I had for callers and calling in. Call call call. Here in the chat room, people are talking about Cruz. And, and this is the thing. I actually had someone also uh, write to me and ask me to address there's a particular problem about Cruz. And I think it was probably this issue of the the Goldman Sachs. I have to go and look into it. I've had a crazy week, as I, I've talked about. But um, anyway, the, the thing I wanted to address about Cruz is, look, no, he's not perfect. In any way, is he perfect? He is, as far as I can tell, the best out there amongst this batch of candidates. If he's elected, we have reason to believe that he is going to do a lot of good stuff. And to the extent that we don't agree with him, um, he is very convincingly telling me that he believes in freedom of expression, that he understands what is required, including including allow us to spend our money on speech. Um, it's that he's actually going to let us express our point of view and persuade our fellow men, persuade our politicians, et cetera, that our way, the way that we believe, for instance, having a right to an abortion, um, that's really probably the main place where I uh, disagree with him. Well, he wants to ban gay marriage. I want to keep gay marriage. I don't think he's going to have very much luck actually getting rid of gay marriage, but um, we'll see what he tries to do. I think that we uh, can be you know, pretty happy supporting a candidate like Cruz today uh, because there are these ominous threats to us right now and that Cruz, while perhaps far from perfect, is to me better than any candidate I expected to have a shot at the presidency in this year. Um, if you think about that, no, he's he's not perfect, but he's going to abolish the IRS. Can you imagine if he gets to abolish the IRS and you actually fill in your taxes on the little postcard, and you no longer have an IRS that has the power to, you know, inhibit the activity of Tea Party and other groups and everything based on their the content of of you know their ideology and stuff. Get rid of that whole mess. That in and of itself would be great, right? This whole idea of the, you know, 501c3s and, you know, monitoring their activity and not approving them and all this stuff. If we can free up speech in this country, if we can reduce stress around paying taxes, reduce the total amount of taxes, I think we're going to end up doing as well. Um, that that's huge in and of itself. Getting rid of Obamacare. Do you think that a Ted Cruz is going to continue to allow the freedom on the internet to get constricted you know giving what he understands about freedom of speech so we we do have to have our priorities as state Finance says here in the chat room so that's just my little spiel don't drop the context um, it's only a contextual judgment but given the context yeah i still think cruz is the best of the bunch so if anyone wants to continue this discussion go ahead and get me at Amy Peekoff on twitter and you can also find me on Facebook at the Don't Let It Go Unheard page or on my personal page. Find me there. Thanks for listening today, and I will, I'll be back at the regular time next week, probably the usual kind of slate of topics and not just you know a single rant about the State of the Union address. So everyone, have a good weekend, and thanks again for those of you who are supporting and listening and sharing this show, and I'll talk to you next time. Take care.